On February the 3rd, 1977, I went out to celebrate my 18th birthday with my three best friends, Robert, Michael Dempsey, and Paul Thompson, all fledgling musicians. We had started to morph from Malice, the band we'd formed in secondary school, to Easy Cure, a name that I came up with and was quite proud of, to simply The Cure. We were still finding our way musically, figuring out what we liked and throwing out the rest. For my birthday, I went all out in putting together my outfit for the evening. I wore a hand-dyed orange jacket with no change stenciled on the back. I'd made buttons from photos cut out of porno magazines. Just the performer's ecstatic heads, mind you, none of the offending body parts. Very subversive. Had on a pair of straight-leg trousers and winkle-picker shoes from Brighton. For good measure, I stuck safety pins here and there to complete the outfit. Robert's get-up was more subdued. He wore brothel creepers and a dark, full-length raincoat that he wore everywhere in those days. The only time he took it off was to put on a leather jacket that each member of our band took turns wearing. Our destination that night was the Rocket, the hangout for Crawley's disaffected locals. These consisted of three groups. Hippie burnouts stuck in the 1960s, working-class skinheads, and us. We were like a secret society, neither with one faction nor another. We had our own passwords, our own law. We were our own cult, and our bond was a deep-seated longing for something, anything other than this. Although Robert and I were close to the same age, we had been drinking in the rocket for a year, which wasn't unusual in the 1970s England. Back then, most people over 16 could get served alcohol in the pubs a government ploy to sedate the natives in that cold, grey, miserable climate. Easier to control if they're all drunk, you see. Like most English pubs back then, the rocket was an unappealing mix of browns and beiges with a multicoloured carpet designed to hide the cigarette burns and vomit stains. Fred, the rocket's usually taciturn landlord, took note of the large numbers of drinks being ordered and wanted to know why we were celebrating. My birthday, I told him. Fred wisely didn't ask which birthday that might be. See no evil, hear no evil. Less than a year later, Fred would offer us our first real gig as a band that would eventually take us away from Crawley and on to bigger and better stages. But we couldn't see so far into the future. On this particular evening, we were content to drink and enjoy one another's company. We were young, exuberant, and didn't give a toss what others thought about us. That attitude, as well as our flamboyant dress, attracted the attention of the skinheads in the bar. They were sullen working-class kids who aped the diatribes they heard at home from their uneducated parents. They made their intolerance known by joining extreme right-wing groups like the National Front. Where we could hear the revolution coming, these yobs tried to drown out the sound with bigotry, prejudice and hate. Just as we could feel the anarchistic pull of punk, they tried to hold on to their own fears, masquerading as values. We all got very, very drunk. The pub called last orders at 10.30pm. It was 30 years after the war, and pubs in England were still obliged to close early, a practice that had been devised to ensure that its citizens would not be too drunk to make it to the factory the next day, manufacturing guns and bombs for the war effort. In the car park at the back of the pub, 
Robert suggested that we go to his house and continue to celebrate with some of his father's lethal home brew. It was Thursday night, and I didn't have any lectures the next day. I told Robert I was game, and we decided to catch a train to his house. As we crossed the old wooden footbridge to the station, I heard the words behind us, Bloody Puffs! Turning slightly, we caught sight of three large skinheads in National Front T-shirts, just thirty yards behind us and closing fast. This was nothing new. For as long as I've known Robert, people have been out to get him. On stage, in the pubs, or on the street, he's always been a target. I've never seen Robert instigate a fight, yet there's something about him that provokes people. On one hand, Robert's the dark, brooding, creative and melancholic sort. It's obvious from the way he carries himself that his head is somewhere in the clouds. It's always been a part of his persona. The tortured artist, the all-seeing poet, the messenger with...